Have you got me turned? There you have we got it. We're so happy to have Dr. Rick Ezell to preach for us this morning. Uh, he's going to do the next three services, and we are so thankful to have him. So I want you to welcome him this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the greatest gift of all mankind will ever receive. Your awesome love and forgiveness through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who shed his atoning blood at the cross at Calvary, washing away all of our transgressions and past, present, and future, and providing a way for us to know and have fellowship with you, Lord, upon which our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, never to be erased. Then, through your loving grace, we are granted eternal life in your heavenly kingdom forever. We acknowledge that this salvation cannot be earned through our good deeds nor purchased at any price. It is your gift of love and forgiveness for all of mankind when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I earnestly pray that the power of your Holy Spirit will fill this house of worship Convict our hearts and redirect our minds. May we be reverent and attentive to your holy word. Grant us wisdom, Lord, and direct our path, for it is not our will, but your perfect will to be done. For all of these, Lord, we gather here together and give you our unselfish love, praise, honor, and glory, for it is in your most holy name that we pray. Amen.
Oh, my soul, I will worship your home. 
going to get Landon to yeah. help us too so uh, we're going to turn this over to the young men and let them start uh, being active in the church okay amen, amen. Uh, <laughs> let, let me do this prayer and then we'll get started <laughs> but don't go far <laughs> let us go to the Lord in prayer gracious heavenly father thank you for your awesome love and forgiveness through your son Jesus Christ we pray for your protective hand and your guidance and continued blessing on this church ministry and each of these precious members. We pray a special blessing for these members that financially support this ministry amidst a pandemic that keeps them from attending. You know their names, Lord, and we know that you will love and bless them in your own special way. According to your holy word, if we bring our tithes into the storehouse, you will open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessings that there will not be enough room to receive it. So at this time, we offer up our tithes and offerings, knowing that you will use it to strengthen this church, your house of worship, and accomplish your perfect will for us. For all of these, Lord, we give you our unselfish love, praise, Honor and glory, for it is in your most holy name that we pray. Amen.
you look at a lot of things differently, and, and a lot of, there are a lot of people in here that, that understand exactly where I'm coming from when I say this, but um, as a, a school teacher for a few years when I didn't have children, I can tell you that I looked at, at my students as soon as I had children of my own, and now I have three of them, but, now, but <laughs> when I had children of my own, it, it changed the way that you look at children. It changed the way that you looked at other people's children. It changed the way that you looked at your students. Um, and I, I've seen a couple things recently. I saw something that was actually on, on YouTube the other day, but it was, um, there was a person on the street, and he was just kind of, well, he was just standing on the street preaching. And uh, some, a man walked up to him, and he, he started asking him, you know, well, how do you, how do you know that God even exists? And he says, well, it's because I I see him in everything. It's like you, he gave examples of things that, you know, you don't believe in this because you've never seen it before. And, and, but then he starts talking about the relationship of a father. And I never looked. We've, I can't tell you how many times I've studied and, 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 and sitting in Sunday school class over the last almost 40 years heard about the, the story of what we call the prodigal son. Um, but now I see that in a very different way. First of all, that this was much more complex than I ever thought it was. But, um, but the idea of a father, it's not about, that's the perfect example of a story of how it's not about anything that you can do. It has nothing to do with your actions, that, that you are loved by a father. And the idea of God as a father, who in the story of the prodigal son, um, when he saw the son who had taken, uh, you know, a third of everything that he owned and, and, and blown it. But when he saw him coming back, it's the way that the father responded when the, when the son returned in the distance, he ran to him. This is a, this is a, this is an old Jewish father. This isn't, this isn't someone who would lift up their robe and run, but he did. He lift up, and, and, and to understand that we serve a father, a God who loves us like a father. Um, in this song we're going to do next, it, it talks about, you know, all the stories that we heard of what we think God's like, but that I've heard those tender whispers and the love in the dead of night, and that God tells us, you know, that he's pleased and that we're never alone. Um, stand, stand with us as we sing this morning, please. Good, good father. 
over now to Mr. Ezel. Thank you. Well, good morning again. It's good to see you all, and uh, thanks for having me back. It's an honor uh, to be here, and I just appreciate the invitation. So uh, thank you very much, and congratulations on uh, exceeding your Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So you're to be commended for that. And uh, we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 6 this morning. So if you uh, find a Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, I'd like to read verses 25 through 34. It's in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and it says this, Matthew 6, beginning with verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May God add his blessings to the reading of this, his word. I read the story of a highway patrolman who uh, pulled over a car on the interstate, and uh, when he came up to the car, he discovered that it was a car with five nuns in it, Um, and they were going incredibly slow, and so he pulled over the car because they were just going too slow for the interstate, and uh, when he got to the car, the nun rolled down the window, you don't roll them down anymore, do you? Uh, you, But he went down, and... uh, and uh, he said, ma'am, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, this is the interstate. You, you, you're going too slow. And she said, well, I was going to the speed limit. And she pointed to the I-10 interstate sign. And uh, he said, ma'am, no, that, that's, the, that's the name and number of this highway. That's not the speed limit. And she said, all right, I'll, I'll speed up and go a little faster. And, and the policeman looked over into the car, and he noticed the other four nuns, one in the passenger seat, three in the back seat, and their faces were ashen white, their eyes were wide as saucers, and they were holding on to the armrest for dear life. And he says, ma'am, what's wrong with your passengers? And she said, I don't know, I don't understand. They've been like that ever since we got on State Highway 126. Now, you know, sometimes life comes at us so fast that we just turn ashen, don't we? Our eyes become white as saucers, and we seem to hold on for dear life. And it's reason to be anxious. You know, before this pandemic, life itself had enough issues to cause us to be anxious. I mean, there's health issues and financial issues and children and grandchildren issues and retirement issues and all kinds of issues that would cause uh, any normal sane person to be anxious. And now we've added this pandemic and the virus and the vaccines and the stimulus checks and the shutdown of the government and everything. It's like any wonder that All of us are going out of our minds, holding on for dear life. Well, Jesus addresses that whole subject of anxiety and worry in this particular passage. In in this section of Scripture, we know is the Sermon on the Mount. And, And he tells us, do not be anxious. In fact, he says it like five or six times. Now, folks, there's whole theologies that we adhere to that only have a single verse like the rapture being one of them, only has a single verse, but we'll live and die over the rapture. And here Jesus uses worry six times in this one text alone, saying, do not worry. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, the Greek word means to strangle. Don't let the affairs of this life strangle you. 
The English word means to be divided or distracted. And he's saying, don't allow the affairs of this world to divide you, to distract your mind. My definition of anxiety and worry is simply this, an excessive concern over the affairs of life. Excessive concern over the affairs of life. And the key word in that definition is the word excessive. We're all concerned, right? And we should be. We should be concerned about our health. We should be concerned about uh, our retirement. Uh, We should be concerned about our children and our grandchildren. We should be concerned about our church. Any number of things we should be concerned about, and that's perfectly healthy and perfectly normal. The problem is, is when it becomes excessive. So you say, what does it mean to be excessively concerned? Well, it means it's the first thing you think about in the morning. It's the last thing you think about before you go to bed. And it's what you think about throughout the day, and you bring it up in every conversation that you have with other people. That's to be excessively concerned about the affairs of life. So Jesus is saying to us here, don't worry. And he says uh, in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Your life. Now that word life there is the it's not the word zoe, which is the Greek word for eternal life. It's not the word bios, which is we got a word biology from. It's not for physical life, human life. It's the word psyche. Uh, it's, it's the word for soul. So Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about your soul. He's he's addressing uh, what we would label as believers, his followers. Don't don't be concerned about your soul. And my guess is that's true for most of us. I sure hope so, that we've come into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We're assured of our eternal destiny, and and so there's no reason to be concerned, uh, excessively concerned. There's no reason to worry about our soul. But then he adds, what you shall eat or drink or about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He's reminding us here, well, let me ask you this question. Are, are, are we a body that houses a soul? Or are we a soul encased in a body? Well, theologically speaking, we're the latter. We are a soul. The soul will never die. Uh, never dies. When people die, you know, we put their body in the ground, right? But the soul lives. And, and that's true whether you're a believer or non-believer. It's just your eternal destination as to where that soul is going to live forever. So we're, we're a soul encased in a body. But our problem is, as humans, we place too much emphasis upon this body, and, and to some degree, rightfully so. I mean, I did take a shower this morning, and I did shave my face, and I don't have to comb my hair anymore. That's, that, that, that's out. But, you know, I did put on clothes, you know. I mean, I wanted to look presentable to you. I mean, we, we go through that. We exercise. Uh, we insure our bodies, or at least our life. We, we protect it. We do all, and, and rightfully so. But unfortunately, I, I, my fear is that we, we forget that we're a soul encased in a body, and we just spend too much of our time and energy and our thoughts upon this earthly existence. We're just aliens, the Bible says. We're just passing through. 
This is not our final destination. Our time on earth is so brief in comparison to eternity, yet we spend the majority of our time focused on our time on this planet. And so Jesus says, don't be anxious about your soul. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried about these things. And then he goes on in the next verse, in the following verses, to give us some reasons why we shouldn't be anxious. Look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So reason number one, he tells us that we're not to be anxious, is that worry is senseless. It's senseless. And the illustration he uses is of birds. He says, look at those birds. They don't farm. They don't plant crops. Why? Because they know they've got a heavenly Father that's going to provide for them. There's a poem that says it this way. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. So Jesus, look at these birds. And we, we see the, the activity of the birds right now, don't we? I mean, they're building nests everywhere. But they're not worried. But that doesn't mean they sit in their lazy boy and recline all day either, does it? It doesn't mean that they sit back and wait for the government to send them a stimulus check or to give them unemployment. No, they're out. It's there, but they've got to go get it. And they're busy and they're active because they know that they have a heavenly father that's going to provide for them. And then Jesus adds a, an interesting question. He says, are you not of more value than they? He's looking at his congregation, his crowd, his uh, onlookers that day, and he says, aren't you more valuable than the birds that are flying? And, and the obvious answer to that question is yes. A couple of weeks ago when I was here, I, I talked about how we, we are the supreme creation, the crown jewel of God's creation. Jesus didn't die for the birds. He died for us. We are of incredible value and worth to Him. As I look back on my life, I, I've had those moments when excessive anxiety was very present. Because there were some downturns. Life threw some curveballs and some beanballs at me. But as I look back, never did I go hungry. Never did I miss a bill. Never did I miss a house payment. God was always there. That didn't mean I, I sat back and did nothing. I had to do my part, just like the birds are doing their part. But God always provided. So, first of all, Jesus is saying worry is senseless. Then look at verse 27. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The second reason why we shouldn't be anxious is because uh, anxiety is useless. And, and he says, who can add a span, 
a single hour to his span of life. In, in some of your translations, it may uh, use the word cubit. Who, who can add a cubit to your stature? A cubit is, uh, is this distance from your elbow to your top. It's about 18 inches. And, and, and the point that Jesus is making, in other words, it's a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. It's like he's saying, who can you add a single hour to your life? Who of you can add a single inch to your height? And the obvious answer is no one. We can't do that. It's impossible. Now, the irony of that is by our anxiety and worry, we can decrease the hours of our life. And See, the ultimate result of worry and anxiety is heart issues and um, strokes and headaches and stomach issues. It, 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 it results in all kinds of physical maladies that take away from the years and the time of our lives. The point Jesus is making is that Worry is useless. I read of a woman who uh, compiled a list of all her worries, and then she went back over that list, and, and, and she discovered that about 40% of her worries never happened. Things she worried about never happened. She said 30% was about things that had already happened. 12% were about other people's opinions, which really didn't matter anyway. 10%, she said, were about health-related issues that she realized was doing more harm than good, and that only about 8% of the things she worried about were really legitimate. Now, her study, though anecdotal, proved Jesus' point that most of the things that we worry about is useless. One guy once said, uh, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. Why? Worry is useless. Then he goes on. Look at verses 28 through 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into, into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Here's the third reason why we shouldn't be anxious, because anxiety is faithless. It's faithless. It fails to believe and trust in the God who's there to provide for us. Worry and anxiety is, 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 its counter is prayer. We either can pray about issues or we can worry about issues, right? When we worry about issues, we place ourselves on the throne of our heart. We believe that we have ultimate control. And we believe that because of our worries, we can change the outcomes. How's that gotten you so far? The other side is that we can pray about issues. We can take them to God. We can turn them over to God. We can put our faith, our trust, our hope in the living God who loves us and cares for us just as we sang about. 
So worry is an issue of faith. Are we willing to trust in the God who values us and loves us and provides for us and watches over us? George Mueller once said, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. And then he gives one other reason why we shouldn't worry, and that is in verses 31 and 32. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. The fourth reason is worry is godless. When Jesus referred to Gentiles, he wasn't just implying non-Jews, he was implying non-believers. And the point Jesus is making so eloquently here is that when we worry, it is an affront to a God who loves us and cares for us. It's a God issue. He's saying the pagans, the unbelievers, have every reason to worry. And the reason they have to worry is because they're not putting their faith and trust in a God who loves them and cares for them. If you're a non-believer, yeah, you should be worried. You should be worried about your soul, your eternal destiny. You should be worried about your time here on this planet Earth. But if you and I are believers, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who saved us, we know that our eternal destination is secure. And so our time on this earth, as limited and brief as it is, he's got that covered too. So it becomes a matter of what we say and believe about God. Then, uh, in closing out, Jesus provides a few very practical applications of what we can do to put our faith, our trust in him. At the end of verse 32, he says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So the first thing, as far as a practical application, is remember that God already knows what you need. He already knows what you need. When Jesus said all these things, he's referring to food and clothing and money and shelter and jobs, whatever those things you're concerned about, he already knows. When you and I go to God in prayer, we don't surprise him. This whole pandemic was not a surprise to God. When we realized that life was beyond our control and our ability to figure out what was going to happen next, God wasn't pacing the hallways of heaven, worrying and distressed. God knew. Nothing surprises him. So whatever your concern is, whatever your issue is today, God already knows. And in many respects, God's already going ahead to prepare the way to provide for you in that particular situation. God already knows. The second thing he tells us that we need to do is this very famous verse, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, there it is again, will be added to you. So secondly, he's telling us to put God first. Seek God first. Isn't it interesting when life throws us a curveball or a beanball or the unexpected comes? We have a tendency to go to everybody else first except to God. 
And what Jesus is saying, we who worship and follow the living God, we who serve this God who provides and protects us, we should go to him first. We should seek him first in all that we do. In fact, he says we should seek his kingdom and his righteousness. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God in our hearts. It's putting God on that throne of our heart. It's allowing him to be God of our lives. And knowing that everything that occurs to us is filtered through his hands. So seek him first. Seek his reign, his rule, his heart, his life. And then we're to seek his righteousness. And righteousness means right standing. We're to have right standing with God and right standing with, with other people. We're to seek those things first, to live in a right relationship with God. And when, we, when this relationship, this vertical relationship is right, then the horizontal relationship with other people will be right. A lot of times people get this horizontal out of whack because their vertical relationship is out of whack. And when we seek God first, we realize that God is in control. He knows what is happening. And those things that consume us aren't that big anymore. They're not that important anymore. What we have a tendency to do as humans is to place all our focus on these earthly matters, all these things that Jesus referred to. And it's like, it's like adding oxygen which, uh, to a conflict. And the oxygen to a conflict often is acknowledgement of that, ever, that issue. When we have a God who loves us and cares for us, we can go to him to fir first and ignore these things that are happening in our life because we know that we have a heavenly Father who's providing for us and protecting us. And nothing happens to us that's not first filtered through his hands. And then there's one last practical application. Verse 34. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so the third application is simply live this day. Live this day. Live in the moment. Don't borrow tomorrow's troubles today. That's what worry does. Worry borrows tomorrow's troubles today. And as someone once said, worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only zaps today of its joy. And that's what happens to us when we worry. We take these things that are out there in the future. We are excessively concerned about them today. And it doesn't do anything about those things in the future. Most of those things in the future never come to pass anyway. The only thing it does to us, it takes our joy away. So Jesus is saying, just live this day. Live in the moment. Earlier in his Sermon on the Mount, in what we know as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Here he's saying, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, so what Jesus is saying there is that we, as his followers, need to live each moment, each day. Give us this day. It's the manna principle in the Old Testament. When the Jews were wandering through the wilderness, God said, I'll provide for you, I'll feed you, I'll, I'll provide you this manna, which means what is it? 
because they had never seen food like this before. And, 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 and every step of the way, 40 years, God always provided them with food to eat, but only for that day. You remember what happened to those folks who wanted to get, like we, we Westerners, we'd want to accumulate. We want to store up. And they got extra, and what happened to it? It rotted. So this principle is throughout all of Scripture. Just live in the moment. Live this day. Tomorrow will take care of itself. When I was a pastor in uh, Naperville, Illinois, right outside of Chicago, uh, there was a couple that joined our church, Dave and Mary Schlotterback. Uh, Dave had been uh, an executive with uh, Montgomery Ward. Some of you all may remember Montgomery Ward. And then he went on to become the CEO of Land's End. And uh, he had retired to Naperville, and, uh, and Dave was well-heeled. That's just a simple way to say it. Well, he was very befriending, he and his wife, to me and my wife. And uh, he said, Rick, uh, Mary and I want to take you and Cindy out to, to dinner, to Chicago, downtown, to some nice restaurants. Would you like to go? Well, sure, I like to eat. I'm more than happy if somebody wants to take me out. I'm really good about that. And so uh, we went out to this place in Greektown. That was the first place we went. And, and uh, you know, I'm a guy, and I'm frugal. I have to admit, I'm, I'm frugal, which in another way of training, I'm cheap. I can be really cheap. And, and when it comes to food, I, you know, I just need enough to, to get by. And, and when I'm out to eat, I want to enjoy it. I like, I like nice meals, but, but you know, I'm going to drink water. We're not going to order any appetizers. And rarely we're going to order desserts. You know, I mean, I'm really, I mean, I'm that kind of guy. I've gotten better over the years, mind you, but that's just me. And so I opened this menu, and I, was, I did a quick tally of mine and Cindy's meal. If we got an entree, I said, I mean, this, this is like a car payment. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I mean, we were young back then, and we didn't have a lot of extra money. And I think, Cindy, we might just have to order water. You know, I mean, and, and Dave must have looked at my fear on my face, and he, and he reached over, and he tapped me on the arm, and he says, Rick, I got this. You guys order whatever you want. Well, reluctantly, I ordered a salad and an entree, and he said, well, you know, you got to get a dessert when the dessert menu came around. All right, I'll eat a dessert. I, I was a little reluctant because that wouldn't, that wouldn't have been me if I were footing the bill. But Dave kept saying, you know, I got this. Six weeks later, we went to the Russian tea room. Opened the menu, and I thought the one before was expensive. And this was like, man, how in the world can anybody afford food like this? And again, he reached over, tapped me on the, on the arm, and he says, Rick, I got this. You order whatever you want. And so we did. And this went on, I mean, several years, them taking us out every six, eight, ten weeks. And after a while, you know what happened when I went out with Dave and Mary, Cindy and I went out with him to eat? I no longer looked at the price. I just ordered whatever I wanted. Because I knew that Dave Schlotterback had it covered. And he could afford to have it covered. Now let me ask you, if, if a human being can look at his friend and say, I got this, and that friend knows that he, this human being, has the resources to cover those meal checks, shouldn't we look at our Heavenly Father 
when he says, listen, don't be anxious. I got this. I got this. Shouldn't we just trust him? Shouldn't we just acknowledge that he knows what we need? That he's gone before us? That he's provided? In the end, isn't that what it's all about? This whole idea of worry and anxiety, it's, a, it's, it's just a matter of trust. Are we going to trust in ourselves? We're going to trust in our bank accounts? We're going to trust in our employer? We're going to trust in our government? Or are we, going to, are we going to trust in the God who made us, who created us, who values us, who loves us, who protects us, who is always there for us? It's our choice. Who will you choose? I hope and pray today and every day you'll choose the God who loves you, cares for you, and trust in him always. And when you do that, you don't have reason to worry. You don't have any reason to be anxious because you know your heavenly father has got it. He's got it. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to stand here at the front. If God has spoken to you about responding to him, not to me, but to him, um, maybe you'd like to come and kneel at the altar. If there's something I can help you with, pray with you about, I'd be happy to do that. Whatever God has placed on your heart in response to this message, I trust that you will do that. Adam's going to lead us in a, in a song, and I trust that you will respond to the voice of God in your heart and in your life this morning. Let's stand together as we sing.
having me today. I appreciate it. You're all very receptive and a warm congregation and I uh, look forward to being back with you the next couple of weeks. Next week is uh, Palm Sunday and we uh, will be serving communion uh, that day as well. So it'll be a great day uh, for us and then hard to believe and uh, after that's Easter. So uh, it'll be a great day of celebration. Let me pray for us. Uh, are, Adam, anything? Can I, let, me, let me pray for us. Lord, we want to thank you again for meeting us here in this place. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you are our God. We don't have to be a slave to fear or worry or anxiety because we're your child. You've got it all under control. You go before us, you're behind us, and you're beside us. And that gives us comfort to live this day in the joy and the peace that you offer. Bless us now as we go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.